Isaiah chapter 1. The name of the message is Zion, a besieged city. Zion, a besieged city. Isaiah chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 to 9. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, when, which he saw concerning Judea and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O Israel, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And every one of us has rebelled in Adam. We all fell in Adam, and we rebel in our sin. <clears throat> the ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of, of the foot, even unto the head. So that's from the top to the bottom, or from the bottom to the top. There's no soundness, Scripture says. That's because we're complete sinners, aren't we? Complete. Everything we do is tainted with sin. Everything. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land strangers devour. It is in your presence. It, it is desolate. It is overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in the vineyard, as a large lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And we'll read verse 9 too. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Now in times past, armies would gather themselves around walled cities. And then the city would be a besieged city. A besieged city. Men built walls to protect themselves against invading armies or roving bands of marauders who were set to take all that they could. All that they could. Be it the possessions of the people in the city or sometimes even the people. That they could take them and enslave them turn them into their own slaves, or sell them to others as slaves. So, men built walled cities to keep these invaders, either the invading army or, as I said, roving bands of marauders, which often happened back in those days. And a tactic that these invading armies would use would, would be to siege the city. And this was developed as a means of, of overthrowing these walled cities. They would surround the city. They would usually build fortifications of their own. And they would literally seal the people in so that there's no escape. The Romans, I've read several books on the Roman legions, individual legions. They were absolute masters at this. 
They were absolute masters. They would build fortifications all around the walled city. They're owned. So that if, if the people in the city come out to attack them, they had to go through the Roman fortifications just to get, just to, get to the Romans. And they would lose many, many men. Many men. They were masters at engineering, masters at, at building fortifications. And they would surround the city and seal it. Basically seal it right up. Seal it right up. So they were masters at this technique. And often the armies would make short attacks upon the, upon the city. The besieging army would make short attacks upon the city, probing to find out if there's a weakness anywhere where they could get in where they could get in. Maybe they could exploit that weakness. Or sometimes they would just gather themselves around the city, build the fortifications that they needed, and they'd just wait. they just wait. Now the only... Or, and then they'd wait. They'd either wait until the people starved or ran out of water or surrendered. Therefore they... Besieging armies played a waiting game until all the supplies necessary to sustain the people in that city were gone. Now the only hope for those who were in the city, which was being besieged, was to either have a continual supply of water or a continual supply of food inside the city. Or, as I said earlier, they could mount a counterattack and send troops out at the besieging armies, which again, the Romans were, were, were masters in what they did because, again, those armies would have to come through all their own fortifications that the Romans had set up, and they would just slaughter them. They just slaughtered them. Or, another hope that those in the city had was that maybe an ally to the city would come and break the siege and deliver them. Turn, if you would, to Second Kings. Second Kings, an illustration of the latter scene in the city of Samaria was besieged by Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, during the reign of Jehoram. And we see that in Second Kings chapter 6, the situation was so dire in the city that mothers were eating their own children. That's how bad it got sometimes in these sieges, beloved. They would run out of everything. And sometimes they would resort to cannibalism. And it's right here in the scripture, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 26 to 30. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. Verse 27, and he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence should I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. My gosh, they'd resorted to cannibalism. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next, her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. Oh my. And it came to pass, what, what's the king's reaction? When the king heard the words of the woman, he ran his clothes as he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. 
He was shocked. But this is sometimes what would happen when a city was besieged. Now turn over, if you would, to one chapter. Now the Lord, by his sovereign power, delivered this city, beloved, causing the army of the Syrians to hear the sounds of an approaching army and to flee in panic. This was all done by the Lord in the middle of the night, thus ending the siege without a shot being fired. And our great God delivered them. He delivered them, beloved. Look at this in 2 Kings chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. Then Elijah said, Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So he's telling them that by this time tomorrow there'll be so much food, it'll be sold for really cheap. Basically, that's what he's telling them right there. Well, how's that going to come about? Well, we'll see. Then a Lord on whose hand the king lead answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Because they're all starving. And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. Oh, my. And there were four lepers, leprous men, at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit, sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. So they figured, they figured well, we're going to die here anyways. We may as well go out to the Syrians and die, because we're already going to die. <laughs> right? And they're lepers too. So they're, 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 they're already... They're already unclean in that sense. They don't want to be, they, they won't let them, let them be part of the city. And they say, well, we're going to die anyways. If they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of, the, of Syria, behold, there was no man there. They were all gone. They were all gone. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the great noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. They thought, they thought the, the Israelites had hired a bunch of mercenary armies to come and, come and wipe them out. Wherefore they arose and they fled in the twilight. They were panicked and they took right off and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. They left all the food behind. They left everything behind. They just took right off. Oh, my. Now we're going to see that which Elijah prophesied is going to come to pass. Going to come to pass. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they they went into one tent and did eat and drink and, and carried thin silver and gold. <laughs> they were carrying away silver, beloved, and gold. <laughs> and they ate all they wanted. People in the city are still starving. Oh, my. And went and hid it. So they, they got themselves a bunch of gold and silver. These guys are smart. And then they went over and they hid it. They hid it somewhere. Oh, my. Oh, my. 
Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. Now they're thinking about the fellow Israelites. Now they're thinking about the people in the city. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city and told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied and tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we, are, that we be hungry. Therefore, they are gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we'll catch them alive and get into the city. So that here the king thinks it's a trap. Meanwhile, God has delivered them with a great deliverance, beloved. A great deliverance, but he thinks it's a trap. And one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Uh, behold, there are, there are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. They, they ate the horses, obviously. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites are, that are consumed. And let us send and see. He's basically saying it won't hurt us to, to go out and send someone out to see if this is so. Because we're already starving. We're already starving. So let's take some of these horses. Obviously, there were still five horses that were left alive. And they took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto the Jordan. Lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messenger returned and told the king. And look at this. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So, so a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel. There was so much flour that they were sold for a shekel. And two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. So we see that that city there was delivered by the power of our great sovereign God. And let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1. We'll read verses 8 and 9. The Lord likens the daughter of Zion, which is his church, his chosen people, the elect of God, to a besieged city, a walled city, a protected city, but also a besieged city. Also a besieged city. Look at this. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in, in a vineyard, as, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Remember our study in Psalm 48, where we were looking at this very illustration. Turn there if you would. Psalm 48, we'll read verses 12 to 14. When we did our study in Psalm 48, we saw that Zion, the church, is a walled city. She's protected. She's protected, beloved. Psalm 48, verses 12 to 14. Now remember too, when it's talking about Zion being the besieged city, that's the church on earth. The church triumphant is already in glory. This is talking about the church that's on earth. The, 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 we, we who are his people that are living during this time. And that can be put to whoever is living at that time upon the earth. The church triumphant, they're, they're in glory. They're already in glory. They've, 
But this is talking about us on earth. Walk about Zion, go round about her, tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that she may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. So she's a walled city, beloved. She's a walled city. She's a protected. God's people are a protected people. We're protected by the Lord. Ponder this too. There'd be no need to besiege a city if it wasn't walled. Right? There'd be no need. There'd be no need to besiege a city if it wasn't walled. An army would just march right in and lay waste. They just lay waste. So when it speaks of a city being besieged, it's a walled city, beloved. It's a walled city. So the daughter of Zion, in order for her to be besieged, she must be a walled city. Look in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 1. Isaiah 26, verse 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for her walls and bulwarks. Isaiah 26.1 In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for her walls and bulwarks. So think of this. The Lord has not fenced in everyone in this world, has he? He's not fenced in everyone in this world. But he has hedged in his people. He's hedged in his bride. And while we're in this earth, we're hedged in. Now we still face barrages, don't we? And we'll look at that. We still face, we, we still face attacks. We still do. But beloved, we are, we are a walled city. We're a protected people. He protects his bride, his elect. He's chose her to salvation before the world began, all because it pleased him to do so. And he protects her. He protects her. And think of this, God's people are continually before him. If you're one of his blood-bought people here, you are continually before him. Continually. There's not a time when he's not watching over you. Never. Never. Just let that sink in. He ever watches over us. Every single one of his sheep. How do we know that? Well, Isaiah says this, Isaiah 49, 16. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. We're ever before the Lord, beloved. We're ever in his sight. And think upon this, there is nothing in we who are the people of God that makes us any different from those who perish in their sins. Nothing in us. Nothing in us. We're all, we're all from the same lump of clay, beloved. We, can't, we, don't, we don't get on a high horse, do we? No, because we're all from the same lump of clay, just as anyone else. The people who perish, we're from the same lump of clay as them. It's God who made us to differ. And only God has made us to differ. The Lord has chosen his bride unto salvation. It's he who has done this. Why? That she might not be cut off. And he protects her and watches over her. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that they shall not be cut off. 
Isaiah 56, 5. They shall not be cut off. The wicked will be cut off. God's people will never be cut off. Never. So think upon this. It's the Lord himself who has built the walls around Zion. And he needed no help in doing it. He needs no help. God don't need no help. I had a man this week. I was talking to him. Talking to him, and he asked me what I believed. First of all, he says, well, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit's work? And I said, the Holy Spirit must regenerate us. You must be born again. You must be born again. And then he grants us faith and repentance to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, well, that's, that's good. And he says, and what do you do? What do you do about, about if someone comes to you and they want to be saved? And I said, well, I point him right to Christ. And he says, well, you don't pray a prayer with him? I said, why would I pray a prayer with him? I don't have to do that. I said, there's not even in the Bible anybody leading someone in prayer. He goes, well, you, just, you, you need to do that. And I said, I don't need to do that. He says, yeah, you, and he was serious, beloved. He was serious. You need to do that. And I said, God doesn't need my help, and God doesn't need your help to save anybody. No one. Well, he's a little taken back by that. And he says, well, no, no, you... You, you know, and then he goes on to tell me about what, uh, how he prayed a prayer and all that. I said, Paul, you just have to look to Christ. That's all. You look to Christ, and Christ, well, prayer don't save you. Look into Christ saves you. Well, then I get ready to go, and he says, just a little bit more. And I said, I don't need any more. I preach Christ and him crucified, and I leave people alone. Let God do the work. Because only God can save. Only God can save. But you see, Folks always want to have something they got to do. Or something the preacher's got to do. I can't save anyone. I can't even save myself. But I'll tell you about the one who can save you and who saved me. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior of sinners, beloved. And, and all who look to Him have salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ, salvations of the Lord. Therefore the saints of God sing praises unto our God. We praise our great God because he, he alone is worthy of all glory. He alone is worthy of all praise. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. We're to proclaim the great things that God has done for us. We proclaim we can't do anything. <laughs> but I know one who's done all things for his people. Oh my, look to him and live. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and live. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, we'll read verses 18 to 21. Isaiah chapter 60. God don't need no one's help, does he, to save a sinner. Praise God. Praise God. Isaiah 60, verses 18 to 21. Violence shall, be no, shall no more be heard in thy land, Wasted nor destruction within thy border, but thou shalt call thy wall salvation, and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee in everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Well, he's our light, isn't he? We give him all the glory. The sun shall no more go down, Neither shall thy moon withdraw itself 
For the Lord shall be thine everlasting life, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. Our Beloved, our mourning's been turned to praise, hasn't it? Now, we still mourn when things happen in this world, but, but we end up praising our God, don't we? We always look to him. Our mourning has been turned to praise, beloved. Thy people also shall be all righteous. My goodness, sinners are righteous? Yes, by the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. It's wonderful. What wonderful news. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Look at verse 18 there. But, but thou shalt call thy wall salvation and thy gates praise. It is the Lord who's built these walls, beloved. They are called salvation. And salvation, we know, is by God's grace alone. Plus nothing from us. It's all in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God who came to this earth to die upon Calvary's cross for his people as their substitute. This is a work of God. This is a work of God and this is a work of God alone. And think upon this, beloved, as we go through this world, we have many times of trouble, sorrow, loss. And yet it's the same Lord who's built those walls of salvation, which can never be overcome or destroyed. That has also ordained that it is through much tribulation that the saints should inherit the kingdom of God. We ought not to wonder why we go through things. It's with much tribulation that the saints inherit the kingdom of God. So the church on this earth, the daughter of Zion, is not just a walled city, but she's a besieged city, our text says. Let's go back to our text in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. <coughs> it says, And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, except the Lord of hosts, had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we had been like unto Gomorrah. If, if the Lord hadn't saved us, we'd be destroyed, just like everybody else. But notice there, notice there, as a besieged city. She's a walled city. She's completely safe. She's provisioned. Because we're, and, and, and we find all that in Christ, who, who what? He's the water of life to the inhabitants of that city. He's the bread of life to the inhabitants of that city. And we're walled in by our great God. And remember the scripture in light of the church, thou shalt call thy word wall salvation and thy gates praise. She is a protected city. Turn, if you would, to John 15. John 15. She's a walled, a, a walled city, a protected city, but yet she's a besieged city. She's besieged by the world, beloved. She's besieged by the world. There's a great army assembled outside her gates. The world. The world's not the friend of the believer. The world despises the believer, hates the believer. Look at John 15, verses 18 to 27. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. And the world does love his own, don't they? But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you. Look at that. I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. 
Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will be done unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. That's why the church is persecuted by the world. They hate God. And they hate the children of God. If I had not, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Oh my. They've been exposed. Remember when the Lord first revealed to you that you're a sinner? We were exposed, weren't we? For what we are. We had no cloak then, did we? We had no cloak originally anyways, but we thought we did, but we didn't. Oh my. He that hateth me hateth my father also. You hate Christ, you hate the father too. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated me, both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And he does, doesn't he? Who's the Holy Spirit point us to? Christ. And Christ alone. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So there's a great army assembled outside the city, spoken of in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8. She's a besieged city, beloved. The world is one of those great armies that are besieging the city. They despise the message of the gospel, and if they could overrun the church, they would. They would. But, beloved, we are a walled city, a fortified city, a protected city, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our surety, who protects us. He's the one who protects us. And think of this, we are all inside the walls of the city, and yet always under attack from the army assemb- armies assembled outside the city. Have you ever pondered that the Lord has, has not seen fit to take his people out of, the, out of the world? Rather, he has us live in the world until the appointed time, the time that he's appointed, that we will breathe our last breath. All the time while we are in this world, beloved, He is demonstrating his sovereign power in keeping us. You ever ponder that? Because left to ourselves, he keeps us. He protects us. He keeps his sheep. And he demonstrates, beloved, the fact by keeping us, by protecting us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It's demonstrated every day in our lives. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The world hates the people of God. Last week we looked at the the two sons of Abraham. We, We saw that Ishmael hated Isaac. 
hated Isaac. The son of the bondwoman hated the freeborn son. Cain, we know, hated Abel. Hated Abel. Why? Because Abel found favor in the sight of God for bringing the proper sacrifice, for bringing that which he was told to do. The blood sacrifice, which we know pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason it pointed to him is because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And think upon this, the walls of salvation around Zion were planned and built in Christ before the foundation of the world. It pleased our great God to create this world and all the inhabitants of it and to make them subject to his law. He did this that he might demonstrate his purpose in delivering they who are the inhabitants of this besieged city. My, the sons of God were never appointed to wrath, yet they fell under condemnation of the law because we fell in Adam. But remember, we've always been vessels of mercy and not vessels of wrath. But we fell under condemnation of the law because, again, we fell in Adam. And it pleased the Father in the fullness of time to have Christ come into this world as the substitute of his people, to die upon the cross, to satisfy the claims that the law of God had upon we who are sinners. Because again, we're dead in trespasses and sins, just like everyone else. We're born into this world sinners. So that law, as we looked at this morning, must be satisfied. Must be satisfied. So God sends his Son, that he might be a mighty deliverer, beloved. That he might redeem his people from their sins. Redeem them from the curse of the law that he might be both just and justifier of his people. Those who by the power of the Holy Spirit have been born again and granted faith and repentance to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were manifested to be vessels of mercy. All by God's grace. All by God's grace. And we who are vessels of mercy are redeemed by the precious blood of our Savior, the very one who protects us and keeps us, even this day. Even this day, beloved. And we have a complete salvation in Christ, in Christ alone. And the law of God is perfectly satisfied and rendered completely incapable of condemning the sons of God. And again, there is now therefore no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. But yet the world mounts assault upon assault upon this besieged city, doesn't it? Causing the inhabitants to sometimes tremble. Sometimes tremble. Sometimes tremble. And then our Lord speaks peace to us. Peace to us. He does, doesn't he? And we look to him. We look to his sovereignty. Knowing that he has prevailed against the world. And knowing that we are more than conquerors through him. Through Christ who has loved us. And keeps us. And then the enemy of our souls. Satan marshals his forces against the city of God. 
And he does everything in his power to destroy the city. Seeking to destroy the unity within the city, just as he always has sought to do. Oh, he seeks to destroy unity in the church. And we are to be sober and vigilant, beloved. As Peter warned us, because your adversary is the devil. The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy every one of God's churches, beloved. That's what he wants. And he's crafty. He sought to destroy our Lord, didn't he? But he failed. And not one of us is a match for him. Not one of us. He's far too formidable a foe for us. Yet, we are safely within the walls of a fortress which cannot be breached, completely out of his reach, and clad in the armor which will repel all the fiery darts of our enemy, of the enemy of our souls. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. This armor of God, this armor of God is the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved. And it's God who puts this armor on the saints. It's him who does it. It's him who does it. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, verse 11. Let's read verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. That's why we're, we're just to stand, beloved. We stand. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. We're not supposed to run away. We're to stand. We're to stand together, beloved, in unity, in Christ. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Who's the truth? The Lord Jesus Christ. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Who's our righteousness, beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Who's the gospel all about? The Lord Jesus Christ. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Who's the object of our faith? The Lord Jesus Christ. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation. Who's our salvation in? Christ and Christ alone, beloved. Nowhere else. And take the sword and the spirit. The word of God. Who's this book all about? The Lord Jesus Christ. All about him. Which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Oh, we need to pray, beloved. We need to lift one another up to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for the work here. We need to pray for the furtherance of the gospel from this place. That God would use it to draw in his lost sheep. I want us to consider the most dangerous foe to the people of God. It doesn't dwell outside the walls. As one commentator said, it can be found in the shadows of every street. It's our flesh. 
Self-righteous pride flows from it, beloved. And we will be plagued with it until the day we die. We're protected, but we'll be plagued with this one. This foe is going to plague us until we breathe our last breath. And it's a relentless foe, beloved. And again, we're battling until the end. Scriptures declare, turn if you would to Romans chapter 7, Scriptures declare that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Paul wrote about this foe. Paul wrote about this foe. We'll see that. Put your finger in Romans 7 here and then put your finger in 1 Corinthians 15. This is our worst enemy, beloved. And don't you, I, I, I know every believer knows this because the spirit battles the flesh, doesn't it? The spirit battles the flesh. Romans 7, we'll read from verses 22 to 25. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, that's the regenerated man. But I see another in law in my members, warned against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul knew something about this battle, this war with the flesh, because he said, oh, wretched man that I am. This is Paul the Apostle writing this. He's a saved man, beloved. And he's saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God. Here is our victor. I thank God through Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Our flesh, beloved, is a constant foe, which has neither part nor lot in the kingdom of God, which cannot be inherited by flesh and blood. Our flesh is a secret admirer of the armies outside the walls, the world and the devil which besieged the city from without. And often our flesh employs their aid in its quest to overcome its inhabitants. But praise God, beloved. Have you ever pondered how much the Lord restrains us? Have you ever pondered that? Have you ever pondered how much the Lord restrains us from things that we would do? Or things that we would say? He restrains us, beloved. He protects us. And I know. I know we're born again. I know we're saved. But we can be just like everyone else. And He restrains His people. Praise be to our great sovereign God that this enemy, this enemy, will shortly be forever put away. Because our life is like a vapor. We're not here very long. While we're here, we battle this foe. Even as saved, born again people. But one day, it'll be put away. And then we'll join the saints in glory. Rejoicing. Rejoicing in praising our great God face to face. 
Let's close with reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll read verses 50 to 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on what? Incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be bought the past the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And who's our victory in, beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ. O death, where is thy sting? This is what the believer says, isn't it? Now we used to fear death, didn't we? Brother Tim and I have talked about that before. And I think every believer before they're saved used to fear death. I don't fear death anymore, beloved. My hope is in Christ. I know that when I breathe my last breath, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. And it's not based on anything I did. It's all based upon Christ and Christ's law. And it's so for every single one of God's people. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is right there. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. In and through him alone. Therefore, my my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. My. For the furtherance of the gospel. That's why we're here, isn't it? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Nothing we do in the Lord is in vain. Nothing. Praise His name. Praise His name. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the scriptures that we've looked at tonight. Oh Lord, even though we're a besieged city, Lord, we're protected by Thee, oh Lord. Protected and You ever watch over Your people. But we know, O Lord, that our greatest enemy is our own flesh. And we confess to thee, O Lord, that we're but sinners. Even still, we who are saved are still but sinners, O Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you, and we know you continue to have mercy upon your people. We thank thee for that. We thank thee that that you're a merciful God. That you will not remember the sins of your people anymore. They're bought and paid for, O Lord. We thank Thee for directing us and guiding us and leading us in the way. Otherwise, we'd be just lost sheep wandering off. But, O Lord, You take Your people and You put them on the King's highway, Lord. And we marvel, we marvel at how You keep us and demonstrate to us every day that You'll never leave us nor forsake us. 
Praise your mighty name, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.